Vincent Benet, H.G. Wells, and Corey Wells of Three Dog Night have in common? We'll ask that question of war game designer Dave Powell when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. It's the one-level playing field in business, the Internet. It's where an artisan working out of a small shop can look bigger than a multinational corporation. But to achieve this level of visibility, your company's website needs a developer who knows the net and how to make it work. Your company needs Apsio. Apsio's success comes from producing websites that reflect the attitudes and uniqueness of their respective organizations. Make a great first impression on the web. Choose Apsio, A-P-S-Y-O. For more info, visit www.apsio.com. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich at East Carolina University with Dave Powell, designer of Civil War simulation board games. Dave, we're talking about uh, the increasing sophistication of games today that uh, recreate uh, the Civil War on a tabletop where you can push counters around that represent units and uh, relive campaigns and battles of the past. You've designed some, some very well-regarded ones. Who, Other than your own games, who designs the games that you like to play? What are the Whose who's work do you uh, like these days? Well, um, I, uh, I have a number of interests in military history, World War I being one of them. Uh, uh, one of the gentlemen's games that I've uh, derived a great deal of enjoyment from uh, recreate some of those World War One campaigns. His name is Ted Rathier, and uh, he uh, he lives in New York City. He's a, a freelance game designer like myself, uh, and uh, has published a number of games. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, starting oh, way back with a, a magazine game that appeared uh, almost ten years ago. Uh, uh, on the on the the war uh, of on the whole war in World War One, and he's done games that focus on campaigns. His uh, um, uh, a, a game called Paths of Glory, published by GMT Games, is uh, sort of a unique uh, or a different style of mechanics that a whole series of games uh, sort of mimics now. Um, You're talking about games where uh, cards play a role, I believe. Yes. What, tell our listeners about that. Well, um, the uh, the innovative uh, aspects of this series of games, card-driven games, they're called, really uh, started with a guy named Mark Herman, who designed a, a very uh, fun, very excellent game on the Civil War using the system uh, called, I believe, We the People. It's either We the People or For the People. 
Fort Wayne. Yeah, We the People was the revolution. Right. Yeah, yeah I can't. I always always <laughs> misremember that. Um, and uh, Ted came along and took uh, that concept and uh, decided that the World War One era would be a perfect uh, engine or a perfect uh, game for that engine. And uh, basically, you use cards to uh, uh, enter historical events into play or to mobilize extra troops or to activate your existing troops to go do something on the game board. Uh, it forces the player to make choices between um, uh, between his available options, and he never, of course, can play all of them at once, uh, and uh, and players alternate, so it's uh, it's very interactive. Uh, it makes for some really great gaming experiences and some surprisingly good history. Well, let me ask you about that. These these games uh, have their their passionate uh, within the hobby. They're passionate defenders and and some detractors. In in my experience with them, uh, in a game like For the People on on the American Civil War, the player will have a hand of of cards that are part of the game's equipment. And unlike chess, where you just go back and forth, white moves, black moves, white moves. Uh, here you have a card to play, and it can either be a card to, as you say, use it to uh, uh, move so many troops, so many uh, spaces, or it could be to cause a rebellion in Kentucky, or it could be to uh, uh, declare a blockade or do some other activity. Now, this forces you to make choices, as you point out, between political or military activities, but those who don't like this format say those choices aren't analogous to any real choices. Lincoln or Davis never had to decide, do I declare the blockade or send the troops toward Manassas? Well, that's certainly correct, but uh, um, Lincoln or Davis also never had uh, the complete grasp of information uh, at their fingertips uh, that the player usually has. Even uh, even a player who sits down and only has a, a somewhat limited knowledge of the Civil War uh, still can see the board at a glance, can still still see all his forces at a glance. He has far more information than either of those men had. It's uh, sort of the same uh, uh, same concept, I think, that exists in Civil War Brigade. You uh, you force the player to uh, to make choices and then live with those choices uh, and see what the outcome is down the road. Um, both are artificial to a certain extent. But uh, they're necessary in order to uh, uh, to place the game player in in a little bit uh, in the in the well in the shoes of the of the man he's theoretically replacing, be it the president of the of the United States or the Confederacy, waging uh, you know campaigns across the whole map, or or even uh, a brigade or corps commander. Uh, fighting, uh, you know, at the sunken road or, or uh, charging at Perryville, wherever he is. None of them have that ability, as, as the poem said. You can't just pick up the you, you can't just pick up the block and move it uh, the way the way the game player can. Uh, the the historical leader didn't have that ability. Didn't have that full knowledge. Exactly. And we, you know, all of what we do is, is to some extent artificial, and uh, uh, the. I guess I prefer to judge a game on its on its final outcome, um, and and most specifically on the on the, on the amount of knowledge it allows you you as the designer to impart to the players. One of the reasons I like the game, uh, the card driven games, is that uh, uh, a number of historical events pop up, 
that uh, some that maybe players know about, some that they don't. Uh, but it puts those ideas in their head, or it asks them to consider the effect of the blockade, or um, uh, maybe, you know, does he have the rebellion in Missouri card? Do I need to pay attention to, uh, you know, a rebellion in a in a border state? Things like that. So, so they do uh, certainly trigger historical interest there. There's uh, there are all kinds of new ideas in games to recreate the past uh, going on these days. Uh, the game Blue versus Gray, uh, published recently, a few years ago, I guess now, uh, is a game played entirely with cards, or almost entirely so. Yes. Uh, have you played that game, and what do you think of it? Well, I admit I have not played it. Um, I have seen it played, and it. Uh, it basically uses cards to build the map uh, uh, and, and introduce theaters, into, theaters of, of war into play. Um, it plays pretty quickly, um, and it does a reasonable job, I think, for, for what people want. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to take a couple hours to play. Um, it's, it's been widely received. It's pretty successful, but uh, I, I don't have a lot of firsthand experience with it. It has... Uh... One of the things its designer has talked about uh, online and other places is uh, what he calls a storyboard concept in which if you play the cards in the order the, the historical figures played them, the war works out more or less as it really did. Uh, in other words, you could recreate what actually happened, although you're not forced to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a fair test of a game to see if you can, if, if you make the same decisions the historical actors made, should you get the same result? I think in general that's that's correct. You should be able to reproduce the historical result, uh, whatever the focus of the game is. If you're refighting the Battle of Gettysburg uh, and you limit yourself to the decisions that the actual commanders made, you should produce uh, an outcome that's not too different than the historical outcome of the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, Pretty much all of our games use dice in, in some form of ran, random events to determine things like combat casualties and, and the outcomes of specific fights. So you don't have perfect control, but, um, of course, the random events tend to uh, even out over time. Uh, and uh, as any mathematician knows, the more random you know, die rolls you introduce, the, the less random the overall result is uh, or should be. So I think it's fair to test any game. Uh, if you're interested to see how, how well it does with history, uh, just try and recreate the, the historical decisions and see what comes out at the end. Now, you have designed a game on the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, how does that differ from the old Avalon Hill version or from more? Or, uh, there are many games on Gettysburg. How does yours stand out? Well, um, actually, I've designed two games on Gettysburg. The first was... Uh, uh, a brigade-level game called Thunder at the Crossroads, uh, and it used the the system that we mentioned and discussed earlier, the Civil War Brigade system, where we um, and the, and the, really the key element there um, was uh, the written order system, where we forced players to uh, write down write down their orders and follow them as best they can, see what the outcome is over time. But there are elements. Um, uh, in our combat resolution system, for instance, we uh, uh, we my and I should say that uh, that all, all of these games uh, are, are done sort of in a partnership. I've done a lot of the historical work on specific titles, 
uh, and uh, my partner in this venture, uh, Dean Essig, uh, did a lot of the basic system work that we refined and built into these games. Um, but anyway, we uh, we introduced things like uh, combat casualties and, and stragglers, so that units would go into combat and suffer both kinds of losses. They would suffer, uh, uh, of course, the dead and wounded, but also they would um, suffer temporary losses, which would see the see the uh, the sort of temporary destruction of combat units uh, of brigades and uh, that that wouldn't function after a few turns in battle but uh, could be recovered and would become uh, effective again after a day's rest or a couple days rest uh, uh, for instance uh, you know the historic the obvious historical parallel might be say uh, 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 Harry Heath's division at Gettysburg which fought hard on the first day uh, for, for Robert E. Lee and then uh, on the second day, on July 2nd, those those men were held out of battle because they had uh, suffered uh, such a hard fight on July 1. But Lee committed them to uh, Pickett's charge on July 3rd uh, to some <laughs> some post-Civil War uh, questioning uh, of his logic. And uh, but he anyway, they had recovered sufficiently, he thought, to be committed into uh, the the famous attack on Cemetery Ridge. Um, so a, a player of that game who had the same experience on July 1st and July 2nd might might then be resting Heath's division and it would recover some of its strength. Absolutely. And, and thus it would be ready to go, or more ready to go, by July 3rd, just as it was for Lee. That's correct. I see. And and I, the, a lot of the same concepts apply in a, in a, a regimental game. Uh, by regimental, I mean where each piece represents a single regiment instead of a brigade. Um, uh, called uh, uh, I'm blanking on my how, how's that for fun I'm, I can't remember the title of my own regimental your own children there <laughs> uh, well let me push you ahead uh, yeah. from that what about the war between the states uh, series game the uh, oh um, yeah we did a couple of those um, I did those with another publisher uh, a game called a publisher called Avalanche. They were an effort, uh, somewhat successful, I think, but of, uh, um, to uh, produce a, a simpler version of the battle. The, the one I did on Gettysburg for them uh, used uh, brigades and divisions, um, and so it was a, a much, uh, a much larger focus, I guess, than some of the more detailed games that I did, like Thunder at the Crossroads mm-hmm. or, or the regimental game, and. Um, and hourly turns, so things went by quicker. You know, the the great advantage of of an hourly turn is that you can only have what you know, twelve hours or twelve day turns in a in a in a day, as opposed to so if you're doing fifteen minute turns, you know, you've got forty eight to worry about. So uh, it, it just speeds up play, and uh, uh, much simpler combat resolution, uh, similar to uh, to Risk even, where you roll a roll a die and a six hits, and you have so many firepower factors that tells you how many dice you get to roll um and uh i think certainly the most successful of the, of those the, of that couple of games was the gettysburg game we did now let, let me ask you about the i'm doing some of the math in my head here and thinking if you do a game on gettysburg where each turn represents 15 minutes so you've got four turns in an hour and you've got 
you know, 10, 12 hours of summer daylight in a day, and then three days. That's a lot of turns. Yes, it is. Uh, now, the first game on that scale that, that tried to deal with Gettysburg uh, with multiple maps and hundreds and hundreds of counters and dozens of turns uh, came out in the 1970s, uh, Terrible Swift Sword. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can recall playing that when I was a student who could safely not worry too much about homework and uh, uh, no family obligations and uh, no need to sleep at night, uh, no need to earn a living. I could set up that game and play for hours at a time. And now I find I can't do that very often. And most of the the, uh, middle-aged male people who may have engaged in this hobby at one time uh, find it very hard to spend the many, many hours required by these demanding games. On the other hand, they can sit in front of a computer screen and do almost the same thing with computer simulations of Civil War battles. Is that the wave of the future? Yes and no. Um, I remember uh, uh, um, Terrible Swift Sword very well, too. Uh, Certainly there's an aspect of of lifestyle commitment to some of these larger games uh, in in some of the games that I've designed. The... uh, this Hallowed Ground is the regimental game I referred to, and just I just remembered it, um, the the one I designed that that yeah. effectively uh, tried to do in the in the 1990s what uh, Terrible Swift Sword did in the 1970s. Uh, same thing, m- mini maps, uh, uh, 15 minute turns, regimental counters, so it takes uh, uh, you know hours and hours to play. Um, computers can do some of this. Um, and there are computer game designers that are doing some of that. What's interesting, what I've seen about some computer games, or, or most of the computer games so far, is that um, the, their, their engines, their system work, is, is reminiscent of games from an earlier generation. Uh, they're more like games from the 1970s, uh, translated to the computer. Uh, the only flaw in that, or, or, or where computers need to catch up, I think, is that um, the paperboard games ha- have sort of moved beyond that 1970s, those 1970s ideas, and the, the computer games need to implement some of the command control and, and uh, other aspects of gaming. They're starting to catch up that way. Um, but the detailed wargaming that we do has uh, always been a very small niche hobby, and uh, one of the problems that computer game makers find uh, is the same thing that large uh, board game uh, manufacturers find, is that they make one of these games, but they can't quite sell enough of them to, to merit uh, mass market distribution. So they're really more word-of-mouth things. Uh, uh, they're, they're handed off. Uh, you, find, you, know, you can surf the web and find Civil War computer games and things, but it's hard to walk into Best Buy and pick one off the shelf because... Um, they, you know, the, at Best Buy, uh, a manufacturer that, that moves through that distribution system needs to move fifty or sixty thousand units, and there really aren't enough of us out there buying those games to to make those successful. And that's certainly true. The the board games as well. Um, yes. Uh, Hasbro now owns Avalon Hill, and they produced a game called Battle Cry, not the old one from our childhood, but. Uh, uh, a new one that uses plastic figures that's quite clever and uh, uh, may hopefully trigger people's interest in the Civil War the way those beautiful American heritage maps did for you and me. Uh, hopefully some, some 
grandchildren will get that game and uh, be moved to be interested in history. When we uh, we'll take a break, we'll talk some more. I want to ask you about your research on Chickamauga. Uh, we'll be back with Dave Powell in a few minutes on Civil War Talk Radio.